You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Oh, jeez, Dad, not the car again. Oh, happens all the time with old Betsy. Have you checked out Carvana yet? They have thousands of cars for under $20,000. But do those thousands of cars have personality like old Betsy? Betsy's held together by tape. And there are raccoons living in the engine. It's a family car. Uh, there are flames on the hood? Ah, custom paint job. No, Dad, the car's on fire. How many cars did you say Carvana had? Visit Carvana.com to shop thousands of cars for under $20,000. We'll drive you happy at Carvana. Welcome back to the Different Knock podcast with Alexander Moneypenny, Bradley Adams, and a very, very special guest. Thank you for joining us, JB. Gunapana, how you doing, man? Hey, guys. Good, thank you. Good, thanks for having me on. No, thank you, thank you. Uh, it's good to be back. Good to be back podcasting after a, a long time. After a long time. Uh, did you have like a loan spell or was it? Was it uh, <laughs> do you know, I... Cut short with I, injuries. I, I was trying to work out how long it had been. I, it's nearly two years since I did a podcast. Wow, what was what 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 were you doing? Um, just listening to other people's podcasts. Fair enough. Yeah, <laughs> picking up useful <laughs> opinions that I could uh, just regurgitate in, in different ways. So here, no I one am. else does that. No one else does that. Come on. No, I um, I don't get half my shit from Twitter. If anything, I don't think there are enough podcasts. So <laughs> let's uh, let's add one more to the mix. There is one last podcast with literally a guy recording on his phone in his car. And that's the podcast. Just a whole ramble. He's just on, clearly driving somewhere, and he puts it up on Spotify, and that's a podcast. Fair enough. Who is who is that? I don't know who he is, but it's fair enough. <laughs> so first things first. Let's get the let's get the the irrelevant news over. Let's do the let's do the small stuff first. Has anyone seen any of All or Nothing? And I won't make the obvious joke uh, about All or Nothing. I haven't. No, I've I've not watched any of it yet. Have you seen the clip of Mourinho, the the one that's been doing the rounds? Is it the one where he turns the TV off? That's it's so fake. The worst it's so fake. thing. And it, the problem yeah. is, is that is the one clip everyone's seen of it, and actually, it's actually quite good. I mean, obviously, it's massively kind of staged, and they miss out so much that they miss out the Son tackle on Gomez. Um, it's obviously all kind of spun to make Spurs look better, but yeah, it's it's actually quite good. But that bit is so it's so kind of incongruous to the rest of the thing mm. because it, it it's so clearly put in as a narrative point, and I'm like, what is the yeah, there's, there's a lot of um, look. I think I think it is good TV, despite the subject matter. So well done to the people at Amazon. <laughs> um, I've I've watched all of what they've released, which is kind of neither all or nor nothing. But I've watched some, uh, and it's been good so far. It's clearly like a massive piece of PR for the club, um, which makes me think we should we should do it. Although I'm glad we haven't done it in the last six months at Arsenal. Yeah. <laughs> but but that that Mourinho scene like there's a whole load of these bits within it where you just hear basically fake Sky Sports news sound bites to just position what you're about to see next. Yeah. It's, and yeah. Oh. and I'm sure they could get real stuff. This is the problem. I'm like why don't you just Well the Sunderland one's brilliant. I I've watched the first the first series of the Sunderland one and it's got some real raw brilliant moments like uh near the end where just before you find out that Chris Coleman lost his job, it's literally like a filmed altercation with him and a fan. So it's obviously doable. I, I mean, there are, there are bits in it, right? So there's, 
you know, and probably parallels for Arsenal where you see certain players not playing, you don't really know why. All the stuff with Ericsson last season where he wasn't playing, his contract's expiring, what's going on. And then in this, you've got like Levy and Mourinho and literally like, mate, I don't know what the fuck's going on with Ericsson. My, his agent's not speaking to me. He doesn't seem very motivated. Like, does he want to stay? Can we convince him to stay? And this is like November. So with hindsight, you're like, fair play. I, I had this real vision of Levy as this kind of like Machiavellian evil character. But he's actually sort of a bit of a wheeler dealer. Like, yeah, he's, you know, he's, like, he's you know, like Jose sort of popping in. <laughs> he looks like the sort of guy like offer you a cup of tea. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. He's, he's someone's dad. It's a bit weird because yeah. like, <laughs> I, I mean, he probably is someone's dad, but um, it's, it's a bit weird. Like, I, I don't, I can't imagine that many pre- Premier League clubs where the chief execs just like, hanging around the manager that's a bit yeah. weird so there was a question on the uh, I think it was the Handbrake Off podcast if you could choose a season to have um, Arsenal's season documented by Amazon which season would you choose and I think uh, yeah James McNicholas from Gunnerblog said last season and I would be fascinated genuinely I think obviously there's a there's a bit of recency bias there but it would be fascinating to see what's going on because can I some mad stuff go on yeah, can I can I take last season on the condition that fans of other clubs can't watch it? Like from from an <laughs> Arsenal fan's perspective, I want to know all of it. Yeah, but there's there's too much dirt there. There's too much material yeah. for everyone else. It it it's strange though because it kind of positions Mourinho as this kind of sort of weirdly like gunslingery, like you know, old old manager comes in who who's won everywhere. And it is very much set up to kind of play the kind of Mourinho charisma card. He's kind of offset against this. They kind of portray Pochettino. They really downplay Pochettino and kind of, and I wonder how much of that is Jose or how much they're trying to kind of push that narrative of Jose as a kind of saviour archetype. But yeah, it's 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 a weird one. Yeah. After their relationship with, with Pochettino, I think that it's... I think JB put it perfectly in that it is PR. All this is is a massive PR stunt, at least with the Man City doc which I've watched a few episodes of, and then the Sunderland one, it felt like a real insight into the inner workings of a club where every clip I've seen so far, which could also just be the fact that, you know, it's just all chopped up 20 second bites on Twitter, seems like a faked staged version of what could happen inside a football club because they brought in a manager to win trophies and to improve things. And I mean, he hasn't yet won a trophy, hasn't had a full season. So, you know, not everyone can can be Mikel Arteta. But it does just feel a bit PR. Let's let's try and put a happy spin on this and play down the fact that we let go of our quote unquote most successful manager of the past thirty years. Yeah, and and look, I mean, there are rumours going going round, and there were on the final day that you know the Spurs players and and management team were celebrating. What did they draw or whatever? Celebrating getting seventh, right? And and it was a bit of a weird reaction to actually what happened and. You know how much of what we've seen during the season is done. Bearing in mind there are cameras, and can you now spin this as he took them over when they were fourteenth and he got them into Europe despite all the things that went wrong? It's a bit, it's a bit weird. And then you know, on top of that, I think you've got to look at the situation at the club where you've had an owner for twenty years. The game's changing. They've built a new training ground, built a new stadium, brought the NFL in. This is Amazon. Yes, they paid however many million to to make this, but also like, you know, has it been made with a, you know, almost like an advert to some potential, but I've seen a lot of Spurs fans thinking, you know, this is a put Spurs in the shop window for the American audience. Yeah. And that stadium is incredible. I watched a clip of, I think it's Richard Hammond sort of showing how it works and how it like goes into the car park and stuff. It's mad. It's actually mad. It's incredible. It is. Do you know, look, it's a nice stadium, right? It it does look like a toilet uh, bowl. It does. I, it looks like a toilet bowl and I drive past it quite often and there's a nice overpass on the North Circular. Don't say that. Don't say that. Arsenal fans will find out where you live. Yeah, they'll find you. There's a Well, thankfully, it's 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 the North Circular. So <laughs> it's a big enough road for me to, to, to feel safe. You never know. But you, they found Gabrielle. You never know. There's a lovely, there's a lovely, you know, you've got like a 30 second bit of the drive where you can just boo it as you go over. <laughs> And you just have this view. But the fact that people refer to it as a billion pound stadium really pisses me off. It's a 500 million pound stadium that they fucked up, went over budget and took too long on. 
to the point where it cost them a billion pounds. So it's like, that's not something to brag about yeah. because you've incurred a ton of debt <laughs> to build this thing. That's right? just classic Spursy. Yeah. Classic Spursy. Now, yeah. they're, now they're like using it as, as, a, as, a, you know, as a good thing. Which fair play, good spin, but like, oh. it's like Newcastle going. Listen, Joel Linton, forty million pound player. So you know, yeah, yeah. So he's amazing. <laughs> it's bizarre. Yes, no. It's 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 what it is worth a watch. I think it's it's fascinating anyway to watch kind of the ins and outs of a of a Premier League club. Like it's it's so interesting just to see kind of what goes on behind the scenes and how kind of normal the guys are as well. The guys, not the guys, the crew, the gang. Yes, also this week we had uh, the announcements of Danny Ceballos returning to us on loan from uh, Real Madrid and we had the announcement of Gabriel Magalhaes. I'm not I'm not going to correct you. I think it was, that was good enough. Was pretty decent. Pretty decent. Yeah, what were your Okay, let's start with if we start with the Gabriel deal. JB, what were your initial thoughts when the rumors started? I I know there was reports going back even to December about it. As a profile, do you like the look of him? Yeah, look, I think um, we could sign an average centre-back who doesn't make any mistakes and that would be an upgrade on our entire defence. So, you know, I, I think I, I think that was... I, I didn't have big expectations of a big signing in the summer um, and I didn't know much about Gabriel before we, before we went for him. I've been... I, I'm optimistic about what I've heard. I think, you know, clearly he's played in a tough league. He's a good size for a centre-back in the Premier League. I think especially, you know, uh, you know, there are a lot of big teams out there. I'm not necessarily set on having six-foot flares all, all over the pitch. But if you want to build a more technical outfit, I think you, you probably need a bit more physicality at the back. And I think, you know, you've seen Liverpool benefit from that. You've seen City probably could do with that when you look at the general physical profile of the rest of their team. So I think if we're going that way, that makes sense. And, and then clearly you need the technical ability on top of that to to play how Arteta wants. And I imagine they're not going to go and spend 20 million euros on a, or 30 million euros on a centre-back who they don't believe can play that way. Um, and look, he's 22, he's had a season there and, and there's there's a lot to be said for... You know, I, I, I'm not the most reliable person to tell you what he does well and what he doesn't do well, I think. Plenty has been said and written about that. But, you know, I think clearly he's an upgrade on what we had. Um, if he's just that, then fine. Um, you know, if he's f- average for a 20 million player, well, we can sell him in a few years and, and he he does a Torreira. But I think the upside is, is clearly there. And I'm kind of happy with that. I think there's a lot of people very excited about the transfer and, and honestly go be excited. Like I'm, I'm happy, right? I think he's a, from what I've seen, he's a good player and I think it's a great signing, but let's not expect him to come in and be Van Dyke in his first week. He's, he's very young for a center back. He doesn't speak the language. He's had one full season in France. So I think we need to temper our expectations a bit, but at the same time, you know, hope, hope that the kind of upside case is, is realistic. Definitely. Um, yeah, I think, I think as you say, the profiles are really, we're, we're kind of addressing what we've needed for a while. Um, I think it's interesting that the first two defensive signings, really, apart from Cedric, that, that Arteta's made have been tall, left-footed centre-backs in uh, Marie and Gabriel. And I, and I think from what I've seen of him, that kind of left-footed ball over the top, I think could benefit Pepe because he, he tends to play that kind of diagonal from the sort of left left-sided channel at the back towards Pepe. It could be it could be an out ball. It's something that you know David Luiz plays a lot, and I think it's it's something that people have seen us working on in training. So I'd be interested to see if that's something that we're we're looking at. For you, Brad, do you see how do you see us setting up with Gabriel? Because I mean, there's been a lot of talk, obviously, about the the three. Do you think there's a potential for him to come into the two and with Saliba in the end? I think that that must be the plan, surely. I think that's the goal. I think right now, it, 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 all of this massively, and I, I mean, I, I sound like a broken record because I've said this in a couple of podcasts now, how we set up at the back will be dependent on what reinforcements we get in that midfield. If we get somebody who can cover and do a more defensive work, who's got some legs, who can break up play as well as maybe progress the ball a little bit, then maybe we'll see an experimentation kind of after Gabriel and Saliba bed in into starting to play that four and playing 
kind of either a Gabriel David Luiz or a Gabriel Saliba kind of centre back partnership. But I think it is it is massively dependent on the summer that we have from now until kind of I think the window ends in October, which feels weird. But um, it, it's massively dependent on this time period as to how we set up at the back for the whole season. I think we're pretty much guaranteed to be playing what almost what looks like a three four three. I think certainly initially, yeah. For the start, for the first few months, to kind of get things rolling, get things in, get these two players bedded in. At least we have a few Brazilians who obviously can speak the Portuguese, so it might not make it as difficult for him to bed in, but it will just make it a bit more difficult for him to communicate. If he's playing on the left side with somebody like Kieran Tierney, who, I mean, I speak fluent English and I can't understand half the stuff he says, <laughs> let alone somebody who doesn't know the language. So we'll have to see. I reckon it will be a, it'll be a five at the back with Gabriel on the left. Louise kind of in the middle and maybe a Saliba on the right. But... And it's looked good. I mean, especially against the big teams, it's looked solid, right? Mm, absolutely. Like, especially when we've got somebody like uh, Aiden Lee Maitland-Niles at left wing back and then Kieran Tini at left centre back because it just means in that transition, we go to a flat back four with a Tierney left back, the two centre backs, and then Maitland dropping into that midfield. And it, it works pretty seamlessly at times. It just really does depend on how, what movements are being made and how, because obviously if Bellerin leaves, we'll see Ainsley probably get the starting berth at right back. So, so I was going to come on to this in a second, but I, I'm, I'm interested in your opinion on this, on this, JB, because do you think Gabriel or Gabriel coming in at that sort of LCB slot pushes Tierney forward, Ainsley to the other side, and then potentially Bellerin out? Uh <laughs> It's, it's dependent on a few things, right? Like I think we've got a clear plan now for the big teams. And one of the issues is that was working at the end of last season. It worked in the Community Shield. Um, and we know we know who plays where in that. And we know the roles we see. And I, I do like that Maitland-Niles kind of left wing back shifting into a central midfielder role. Um, but we play... Was it Fulham, Fulham and Leeds or whoever it is at the start of the season? Um, look, Leeds will press us fine, so there'll be opportunities to potentially play exactly the same way against them. But I, I can see Fulham not doing that, and I can see lots of other teams this season sticking ten men behind the ball. Um, and I do worry that that three four three or however you want to describe it is not going to be best equipped to to break teams down. I think you know linked to that is the fact that I don't think we have the midfield to do it at the moment anyway. And therefore, you know, you can just go and play a 4-3-3 for the sake of it. But if you've got crap in there, you get crap out. Um, I think realistically, if you start with the back three, it makes sense that Gabriel would slot on the left with Louise in the middle, Saliba on the right. I, I still don't know how many minutes we can expect from Saliba, given he's still very young for a centre-back. I'd love to see a lot of him, but I'm sure that will depend how he plays. Um I'd love to see Tierney play the left wing back role. I think he's offered a lot when he's got forward, much more natural on that side, clearly the Maitland Niles. So there's a lot there that makes sense in the shifting. And I think, yeah, for sure, long term, some kind of back four with, with Gabriel on the left. And you don't really pay 30 million euros for someone who's not expected to come in and be first choice straight away. So there's quite a lot there. I, I, I have a feeling, look, I don't know, we played two behind closed doors friendlies now. I wonder if Arteta's been playing around with the back four. I wonder why they haven't televised them. It might just be because they don't want to show them. But maybe maybe we start the season in, in those two games against smaller or normally smaller teams with a Luis Gabriel partnership and and I don't know if you push Mayla Niles up or you, you do some up something else. You know, could we have Jack of Sabios with William at ten, for example? Um so uh, I... so, so this is a theory I'm literally making up right now. But do you think the kind of the Urzil inclusion potentially means that they were playing around with a four? Because, you know, is that is that a, a, a clear indication that we're looking at ways of breaking down those kind of low blocks? Uh, I mean, who knows? But I, I, The the Urzil situation's a, a difficult one, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm a massive fan of the guy. I think he's clearly not the player he once was. Um and I don't hate him for that because lots of players decline. Um, here's what it is. He's on £350,000 a week. Don't really blame him for not moving. He's going to move in a year for, for free anyway. Like, It doesn't have to be 
a big drama. I think people want it to be an issue. Um, you know, why is he not playing? Could be any number of reasons. Um, why did he play yesterday? Could be for fitness. Could be because we didn't have numbers. Could be because he's trying to integrate him back into the squad. Um, I, I, I can't really see us playing a back, you know, like a 3-4-3 three, three with us. I think peak Ozil, you know, 2013 Ozil would actually have been great in a in a front three. He was a quick player, he pressed well, he could have could have played like a wide creative role. Um although if he did play in a in a front three it would explain why we lost against Aston Villa. Um but yeah maybe, maybe. And maybe William played there. Um I, I'd like to see uh, assume if you assume Ozil is is semi competent still, I would like to see William, Pepe and Ozil combining. I think that could be interesting. Um, especially in that right half space, suddenly you've got Pepe's left foot, you've got Willian, and I use this lightly, but playing the De Bruyne, De Bruyne role of, of just kind of a, a, you know, like a wide midfield crosser, like Henderson does it a little bit at Liverpool, just gets in that space. Uh, uh, I don't know, I don't know what Arteta's planning, I'm sure we'll see different players all over the pitch this season, but uh, it would surprise me if he hadn't tried to play around a mm. bit with the full. So on Ceballos then, um, I mean, last season, you know, he had that kind of that Burnley game, and then and then things appeared to sour with with Emery. There was some fitness issues, I think, and then and then he sort of had that massive resurgence, obviously post lockdown. It's an easy comparison to make with his kind of technical ability, his, his ability to wriggle out of spaces, the kind of Kazola esque thing we've been missing in the midfield, if you want to call it that. How do you feel, JB, about Sabios? Do you think he's kind of because I wonder if someone else comes in, whether he plays a different role, as in isn't necessarily a starter. Because right now, I think he is he is our starting cent- central midfield player. Obviously, it depends on how we set up. But I mean, overall, are you happy with him coming back in? Yeah, like, I think he's a very good footballer. Um, he, well, he's a professional footballer. So he's, of course, he's very good. But um, <laughs> he's better than us. <laughs> he'd look, he'd look us. very good uh, on, <laughs> on a Sunday league team. Um, like, he's a very good footballer. He... Ended last season really well and I was excited when we signed him. I think the Burnley game was a glimpse. I think it's probably... I think we can say it's unfair to judge any player based on what they looked like under Emery last season. Um, <laughs> and you know, individually, it was a complete mess, right? And the only players who looked good were the individuals and turns out those players looked bad as soon as we had structure. And I don't want to pick on Genduzi, but he's a good example of that where... You know, when when we relied on people just running around and just doing things and hoping they came off, it was great. Um, so, so yeah, anyway. So, post-lockdown, Ceballos, I think, was a very solid all-round midfielder. Um, lovely just watching him on the ball. He's never flustered. He's just incredibly calm. Uh, defensively, surprisingly productive. Yeah. Um, screech. Yeah. <laughs> like, weirdly for, weirdly for his profile, really good defensively. Yeah. I think he just seems to... I don't know if he was like that before, but he seems to really enjoy getting stuck in, um, which is good to see. Um, and, and formed a good partnership with Jacker. I think the issue, and, and I wouldn't necessarily compare him to Gazzola fully because I, I just don't think you get the final third output from Ceballos that you would do from Gazzola. Mm. Maybe in a three with a bit more license, you would get that. Um, I think he's the best central midfielder at the club. So I think if you're building a... A midfield three, like if you added, if you added party an hour, if you, you know if you found some magic source of money somewhere, um, I think you'd play a three of those two plus the bios, right? And Jacker drops out, so I'm delighted. I think in an ideal world, if we had money and he was available for twenty to thirty million, I'd just go and buy him. Um, given we need money elsewhere, getting him again on a loan is is sensible because I think having to throw cash out the door just to stand still squad-wise would have been uh, difficult this season. So, Especially seeing as they've waived the fee. Uh, there's been a lot of reporting that, uh, I mean, we entered discount code COVID-19 and Real Madrid have now accepted to, <laughs> to not take a fee for the loan and we're only paying the wages. Mm. So, yeah, I agree with you. It's, it's a good move in the sense that, you know, obviously it's a shame it's not a permanent transfer, but in an an economic climate where, you know, we we definitely need another central midfielder in a party or somebody of that ilk getting somebody in who 
I mean, post restart was statistically first for key passes, first for distance covered by our midfielders, first for ball recoveries, interceptions, like so many key statistics for us that keeping him and then adding on that, even if we don't get an hour, I think as long as we get somebody who can do some defensive work, I think yeah. we'll at least upgrade a teeny bit and then hope, don't get me wrong, we need a creative midfielder. But if we had to pick either having a creative midfielder or a defensive midfielder this summer, I think that we need somebody a bit more defensive. And I, th- uh, there's been a few kind of reports at the moment on Twitter from, you know, our lovely friends and tap-in merchants who say that, uh, you know, we're we're looking to get the Alwa deal done first because we don't want to just slap 45 mil on party showing them we've got the money. But the thing that worries me about it is I also think that you could say um, kind of the flip side of that is it could just be we're putting noise out there that we're negotiating for Alwa to try and get Madrid to lower their price for party. So who really knows what's going on? I also think on Ceballos, he seems to love the club. And, you know, like I think a lot's been made of him, you know, the celebrations and stuff. But also, you know, he was not moving on the Community Shield day like he was going to leave the club. I think he he really appears to have found, you know, and there's a nice Spanish contingent. Obviously, there's Mikel. I, I think he's really found, I think he feels valued. And I think we, I think it's often, you know, we get caught up in the metrics and the, what they're like on the field. So much of this, they're, they're, they're human beings at the end of the day. And I think he he will want to give his all for Arsenal. And I think that's that's that plays such a big role, I think. Yeah, and I, I think he also doesn't get on with Zidane, right? Which which is helpful for us. Yeah, yeah, yeah there's major friction. Um, so I think I think the long term, uh, you know, let's hope Madrid signs someone and then he's just not even required and we can go and get him on a good deal. There's another year gone on his contract, etc. I think, um, Brad, to your point, I think like what it looks like is we've now spent the money we had we're now going to go and sell players, work out how much cash there is in, in the big Arsenal transfer cash pile and then work out, I, I think, probably by two. But my guess is your midfield-wise, you need what? You need Jack or Ceballos plus three is is what I would say. Um, and currently that three is Elneny, Torreira, Genduzi. And it looks like all three might go. And 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 half of Joe Willock. Um, <laughs> yeah. All three, all three might go. I think, for me, you basically sell the two most valuable. I, I don't think any of them are in Arteta's plans. I think if you sell the two most valuable, probably keep Elneny just as a fifth choice. But if you don't get good money for Genduzi, then maybe you keep him around. Um, do you do you do you hold out any hope of him being reintegrated? It's on him, right? Like I don't know the guy. Um, I, I think that, you know, the best case scenario for Arsenal is this high potential midfielder gets him, gets his act together, decides he wants to you know, play for Arsenal, decides he wants to make it and he actually wants to buy into what's going on, does what Arteta's been asking of him. Sounds like needs to apologise for whatever he did at Brighton. I don't know the details there, but yeah, like if if he turns into a productive midfielder that's one player we don't have to sign right and then also it bumps up the value that we thought we had in him so I hold out hope um in the sense that it's it looks like it's possible because Arteta's shown he'll forgive people um and maybe it needs to happen if we don't have any big big money offers because I can't see us selling it for 20 million I think that'd be a complete catastrophe catastrophe is a strong word it would be disappointing (laughs) especially where we were during the season, right? Golden Boy nominee, etc. So he won't want to sit on the bench for a season. I think if he doesn't go, they'll have to, something will happen. Um, but it's just a bit of a mess, isn't it? So this week, the news came out about Hector Bellerin. I think it was on Monday, potentially. Uh, Ornstein released an article uh, detailing Paris Saint-Germain's interest. Sort of 30, 35, 40 million has all been sort of bandied about. It... Obviously, all these things fit into a context of a kind of squad building conversation, and we all have an emotional attachment to Hector. So it's a really, it's a really, really difficult one, and I, I still don't really know my opinion on it. If you're Mikel Arteta, JB, and you walk in on a Monday morning and you get forty mil for Bellerin, 
with the squad as it currently is, what do you do? I think you sell the player and keep the guy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I don't. I don't think. Look, I, I think forty million is a great price for him. I don't think he is irreplaceable. I like him. Um, I think it's a sign of where we are with the rest of the squad. I also think you well, you you need to know. You know, there's no point selling Bellerin if Maitland Niles then doesn't want to be a right back. Um, unless you know, I could see a world where we get. 40 million for Bellerin, throw half of that at like Max Aaron's Ooh. and then have 20 free to reinvest. Yeah. Or or similar, right? Like I think I think the idea that we would just not sign another right back because I think if you if you take take say you take Bellerin and Kalasinac out of the team, we're probably short of a fullback, especially if you've got three games a week. Um and Tierney maybe playing left center back a bit. I just think you're a bit exposed, so Potential internal solution on that. There's two uh, fullbacks of interest for me. There's a there's a guy called Joel Lopez who I think he's probably 18 or 19. He was signed from Barcelona, who's supposedly pretty good. And there's another guy who I'm not going to say the name of who is 17 because I'll butcher it. Uh, I think he's 17 and he's in the academy. Again, highly rated. I mean, you know, I'm talking about my arse here. Who fucking knows? But do you think there's a potential for an internal? look at that especially in the kind of right fullback position where something it feels like a slightly less you know the game is obviously changing and that the fullback being the kind of the left back in the change room kind of joke is is kind of gone now but the the idea that the internal push-up could happen with that I'm not I know what you mean about Maitland-Niles I'm and it would be it's a it's definitely an interesting thing to to discuss but I I wonder whether there's an internal solution uh yeah I mean from what I've heard good things about Joel Lopez never seen him play um everything I've seen recently suggests he's not quite ready yet I don't know if he's had that much experience with the under 23s um, but who knows I, th- I think if they were looking at that internal solution they probably would have held on was it Osei Tutu went to Cardiff on loan like if we think he's ready for a season in the championship he's probably ready to be the Europa League right back for a season and, and Bowler's Bowler's been training with the first team and I think he played in the Aston Villa game if I'm, is he a right back or a left back? I think he's a left back. That is on FIFA though, so who fucking knows? But I think he's a left back. I don't know. I I think let's go back. Let's go back to the Hector thing. I think the the point is we need to raise funds for our midfield. And I like Hector and I like Maitland Niles. Uh, I don't have a preference for which one we sell. I think it would be a shame to sell either of them. But I think if there's enough money on the table for either of them, you have to consider it because what is the alternative? And the alternative is we're sat there going, oh, that's great. We kept the two guys we like, but we've got no midfield for a season. And that's going to feel like shit. So I think you've got a, was it Ted Ted Knutson on the Arsenal Vision podcast? He said, kill your darlings, right? I think it's PSG. We're probably not going to get more money than we're going to get from PSG from anyone else. Maybe maybe his mate Serge at Bayern can start a bidding war. Um, take thir- Would I take 35 I feel a bit sick taking 35. Maybe get some upside. Like if they win the Champions League, we get something there. 35, 40, 40, yes. Same with Maitland Niles, though. Like I think if there's a, it's probably 30, 35 million for Maitland Niles, I'd start talking. But yeah. I feel like his ceiling's higher. It's also, it wouldn't be a hard project to sell to Bayern either because I think he'd like Paris. I, 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 um, I wrote a blog post on this on the differentnot.com. A uh, little plug there. Uh, oh, plug. Um, but I think the the thing with Baron is we all remember him when he came on the scene. I think there was a there was a, a stat from 2015 where he was like something like the top chance creator in the league at one point. And he was getting forward and he was bombing forward. He kind of now tends to cut inside, play the simple pass to Mustafi or whoever it is at RCB or whatever system we're playing. <sighs> And the but the problem is is that is so, I think it is all related to that injury. I think I think that really knocked him. And, and I would I would hate it. I would hate to watch Bayern at say twenty six twenty seven, winning the Champions League. Obviously, I'd be happy for him, but I'd be gutted for Arsenal watching. And if he you know flourishes and goes on to become the player that we all thought he could be at twenty one twenty two, I'd hate it. And I and, and I like I would take forty million right now. But there's like a future part of me. Going, ah, oh, it's it's such a tricky one. It's it's so tricky. So if you look at, if you look at, we'll come back to Hector specifically, right? But if you look at, you've got Jeff, Nabry, 
maybe Chesney, Benacer, Daniel Marlott, five players, five, six players, right, who are who you're looking at around Europe right now going, ah, oh, shit, right? And on the other hand, you've probably got 20 to 30 players in the last 10 years who we've kept hold of in the hope they could become something. I mean, we got what? What do we get? We got for, for Wilshire, Ramsey, Welbeck, um, Sanchez, Alexis, we got nothing for, we'll get nothing for Ozil, we'll get nothing for Aubameyang, and obviously different stages of their careers and everything, but like, sometimes when the value's there, you just have to take it. Especially three years out from his contract, yeah. It's 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 money needed in other areas, and when you've got two starting quality right wing backs slash right backs, and then Cedric to back them up, it, it does become a choice of... But I think it's a it's a really astute comment to make that this all massively depends on if Maitland-Niles is going to sign a new contract and is happy to play right wing back. Because if he's not, and that means he's not going to sign a new contract, then... Then it's a standalone issue, right? Then it's just sell Hector and replace him, which might be fine, right? We might go and get the next best fullback in Europe. I don't know. Um, but yeah, to your to your point, um, Alex, just before with the injury thing, I don't think Hector was ever a brilliant chance creator. I don't think he was ever great technically. He's always had a little bit of a close stance. He's he's never been a great crosser of a ball. It didn't matter when he was the fastest player in the league, right? And he was making these unbelievable recovery tackles and he was saving us and he was getting beyond. And this is not a criticism. He's been a very good right-back for us. He's been above Premier League average for, what, five, six years? Um, and he's a great asset to the club. But some things will come back if he recovers perfectly from his injury. I think there is a question of, is he technically at the level that Arteta would want in a fullback? I, I don't really think Cedric's great. But there were things Cedric did when he came on the pitch at the end of last season that I would watch and Hector can't do. It's the two-footedness, it's the wriggling out of situations, it's some of the ball retention. Now, he's not an athlete. He's also a better crosser. So you're looking at these and you're like, you've kind of got bits of both that I want. I want Hector's speed from five years ago. I want Cedric's technique and crossing. I want Hector's personality. I probably want his drive. Like, he made the... Was it the winning goal in the FA Cup? Yeah. Was that run through the middle? Yeah. He's still yeah, a pretty yeah, good yeah. straight line player, right? If you want someone just to bomb up and down. Um, but do I think Arteta, if I'm Arteta and there's 35, 40 million on the table, I think you take it. I think you take it because I think it could just be a good time for everyone. Hmm. Um, and if we don't take it, you know, and he has a shit season or the pressure on him. I don't know. I, I think I think there's... There's a lot more opportunity if that sale goes through. I don't think, like, you know, if if a Bamingang went, I think we'd we'd feel it on the pitch. If certain players went, we'd feel it on the pitch. Um, I like Hector, but I think it's it's something we can very easily recover from. I think you're right about kill your darlings. I think it, yeah, I, I I think we could be in it. We could be in a situation, say next summer, where he hasn't played much this season. He still hasn't recaptured that form. He's then two years out from his deal questions are being asked and he goes for half the value he goes now so it's yeah it's a real tricky one 40 million is a good price especially when you consider people like Ashraf Hakimi moving from Madrid to Inter for 42 million euros or something and you're looking at real class ta- like talents at 19 moving for you know because transfer mark the website historically undervalues players for what they actually end up going for because of obviously inflated markets. But they had him rated about 50 million euros and Madrid let him go for 42. And you're looking at other targets out there that people could be looking at. Like like you say, Max Ahrens. I think it's a really astute point to ask the question of why is nobody absolutely pillaging these clubs? Mm-hmm. Like Max Ahrens, Emmy Buendia. David Brooks. Jamal Lewis looks like he's, yeah, Jamal Lewis looks like he's off to Newcastle for only 13 and a half million pounds at left back. Yeah, I saw that. Well, I think I think Liverpool wanted him. Then they went for the Greek guy, and then suddenly, I mean, it might be there are no buyers, right? It might just be. I I mean, what we have seen is there hasn't been a lot of activity, right? Yeah, it's been dead. It's been really, really quiet. Maybe clubs are waiting. Maybe clubs are having to sell first, but everyone has to sell, which means nothing's happening. Uh, we'll, we'll see. I think whether it's Aaron's or someone else, you know, forty million for a right back, you're getting into Kyle Walker, Mendy territory. Mm. 
I don't think Hector should be in that bracket price wise. And suddenly, if you put forty million on the table for him, I'm like, I could I could get comfortable with this. And Madrid can afford to undervalue Hakimi. We can't afford to to sell badly. Oh yeah, of course, of course. I think it's just if you consider the talent level and how much it's moving for and the ceiling. It's it's a it's a perfect argument for PSG to just come to us and go, well, we could have got Hakimi for forty two million. Why are we going to pay you forty for Hector or even thirty five for Hector? I wonder on the the window whether, and this is a slightly separate point, whether it it feels a little bit to me like a like a like. Do you remember the bail window where he went and then everything kind of cascaded after? There was kind of mm. that happened and then and then people moved. It feels like maybe a, a Koulibaly could move and then lots more will happen. Napoli moved for Socrates. It feels like that sort of window. Well, I Napoli, wonder. the Socrates move to Napoli is the thing holding up the Koulibaly move, according to. Aurelio De Laurentiis, the the chairman mm. at Napoli, he said that they look they want they have to bring somebody in before they let Koulibaly go, and the question is is they're asking Arsenal to just release him from his contract, and Arsenal are going no, we want five million pounds, and it's this stalemate going on at the moment as to who's gonna chicken first. I'm torn because I like, will get the wages off the books, but it's like if you see if you see a club selling someone for like seventy or eighty million and they're trying to get a player for free off you. I mean, five million for Socrates is good money, right? I'm, I'd be amazed if we got. I know, that. but as in, like, they're getting seventy million. No, I know. I they know. can afford it. <laughs> They've done. Look, Napoli have done well to to find an upgrade on Koulibaly for only five million. And <laughs> we just we need to let them know how lucky they yeah. are. I'll, I'll upload my Socrates compilation next week, uh, probably, sort of just to make sure it's at the right time. Yeah, Project Socrates. But it's mad, right? Like, I, you know, they wanted Gabriel and they got Socrates, but. Tough. Pepe. They got Pep. They wanted Pepe. They wanted Torreira as well, didn't they? Yeah. I mean, less of a win, but what? Where do you boys sit on Torreira? Because I'm, I'm, I'm sell. Delicately, he's he's quite he's quite fragile. Yeah, I mean, if you're talking about the Torreira that was winning like Player of the Month awards or like Man of the Match awards in the six months he was good for us, then it's a different player. But he, uh, the player that he is consistently is definitely a sell. When he signed, everyone was crying out for a player of that profile, right? We everyone wanted the defensive midfielder who could pass a bit. And his passing at Sampdoria was functional. Like he'd snap into tackles and he'd play the he'd play the passes through the lines. He's occasionally hit those kind of aggressive vertical passes at Arsenal. Maybe he's a bit lightweight for the Premier League, but it was a logical signing, right? Um, where it fell apart a bit was it was a logical signing for what we needed in Wenger's last season. Then Emery came, and from what I don't know what he wanted, I don't know if he knew what he wanted, but what he needed in that system that he was playing <laughs> was um, <laughs> unbelievable, rangy, you know, six foot plus athletic midfielders who can cover the whole pitch yeah. on their own. Didn't he want the severe bloke? All, all of them. And Zonzi, yeah, all of them. He wanted and Zonzi. He wanted yeah. Benega. He wanted. Yeah change our kit to white <laughs> um yeah look i think I, and and he had a few good games. he the the north london derby right he scored in and he's had some good games and i remember he came off the bench a lot and and made some great recovery tackles and stop counters and you could see what he does and i think he would still be a, a pretty good functioning midfielder in a europa league or even a an average champions league team right i th- and we paid 22 million for him in his early 20s and we'll probably get most of that back and who knows maybe a bit more with 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 clauses not that we do that so uh, i would sell him because he didn't suit whatever emery was trying to do he doesn't seem to fit the technical mold of what arteta wants in his midfielders but that doesn't mean he's a bad player it just didn't work out as a as a trust. he's also wearing the number 11 which is offensive I had an interesting question to pose the two of you guys. Uh, I saw uh, um, a tweet from TalkSport with Ali McCoist suggesting that the... And obviously, this is absolute recency bias because we won the FA Cup and I would love for this to happen. But how would you feel or how do you think if the FA Cup winners would be that fourth spot in the Champions League and it would add more incentive to playing in that competition because they were kind of theorizing this idea that you can technically have a more successful season, but not qualify for Europe's biggest competition in winning the FA Cup. 
but have a mediocre season, like a, a fair few teams have had this season and limp into fourth, yet get continental kind of qualification. So I wonder what you guys think about that. I think if you do that, you have to get rid of the Carabao Cup because it just devalues it even more. But I, I'd be up for that. I think that coming fourth in the Premier League is significantly harder than winning the FA Cup. Therefore, I think the reward should be bigger. I think like a Europa League spot, right, is still amazing for most teams in the country. If you're Ipswich and you win the FA Cup, you're not going to be like, oh, it sucks we're only in the Europa League and not the Champions League. You're going to be like, oh, we've got Sevilla, because I think they're the only team in the Europa League. We've got Sevilla (laughs) uh, midweek on a Thursday. Unbelievable, right? So I think like there's only... Maybe, maybe like the bottom bottom half Premier League clubs, it would be amazing. Or like a, a Wolves or a, like a Leicester. It would be, it'd be great for them if the FA Cup was a way into the Champions League. Yeah, we're in a difficult situation where we've now got, what, like five really big clubs in our country. Um, you know, you've got, Man, you know, you've got United, City, Liverpool, Arsenal and Chelsea. And there are no other big clubs in the country. But None at all. We've only got five that... You know, there's five and four spaces. Yeah. Um, and five and three, it's fine, right? Fine, one of them might then go and go and win the, the FA Cup. But you start, and this is separate from the fan view, right? You start squeezing on the financial model of those clubs. You you change the whole kind of calculation on, on how clubs look at the Premier League because you're suddenly taking an extra... 50 to 100 million a season off the table for one club. Um, and then, you know, what do you do to clubs? Do you go for smaller squads? Are you better off? You know, do you hire different managers? Do you go and hire, do you go and hire cup managers who play boring football? Um, because actually you only need to win six games, whatever, six games, seven games to win the FA Cup. So you go and hire, everyone wants a Mourinho or a, or a Nuno yeah. or a Simeone. Can win one off. Because you go and win seven, seven meaningful games with a big squad and you play kids mm. in the league. It doesn't matter. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think, you know, obviously that's an extreme, but I think you could end up rebalancing it a lot a lot more than it's a nice it's a nice idea. But I think Yeah, I just I just found it an interesting conversation. I, I think I'm I'm more on the fence. Look, at the end of the day, if Wenger had won the Champions League final, I'd be screaming that he won the Champions League final. But the reason that I always kind of until when people were kind of comparing Klopp to Wenger and saying that, you know, Klopp is a far more superior manager than Wenger ever was before he'd won the league. I was saying to to win a 38-game league season is a lot harder, like you say, than winning eight games in a competition or winning 16 games or however many games it is to get to a Champions League final and win it because cup football, anything can happen. Whereas a league is a kind of, like it, like we've said, it's it's a it's a more reliable standpoint for how good you are. So I think that, yeah, it, it would be unfair to the team that finishes fourth. I just think that it maybe would put some more importance on, on the cup competitions. But, but is it not? I mean, I'll go the other way, right? I think, is, I think the Europa League is quite a big prize for a lot of Premier League teams anyway. Yeah. Both in terms of prestige and finances. And I think the only Premier League teams that don't really care about the FA Cup are the ones that have a chance of making the Champions League through the league anyway. Yeah, I think it's just because as an Arsenal fan, you know, we won the FA Cup this season, so if we won the Champions League through it, yeah, I think of course it would be class. If you're asking me what do I think the rules should be, I just Arsenal should just be in the Champions League every year. (laughs) Just by default. Just by default. We've given people a lot of joy around Europe with some great teams and it's kind of rude that we're currently not invited. So... Let's just change the rules. All right, boys. Hours before this podcast, I asked you to name your top scorer, yeah. most assists. Most number one singles. Oh, <laughs> um, most assists. League position. Are we going to win anything? Flop of the season and young player of the season. As a little preview. So the, are we calling it the 2021 season or the 2020-2021 season? Because that sounds fucking ridiculous. 2021. 20, 2021. 2021. All right. Um, let's start with top scorer and let's start with Bradley. Who are you going for? 
Obama Yang. It's not. It's it's an easy one. It's an, It's the. Can easiest. we do a? Can we do a second? Second highest score. Oh, second yeah, highest score. Let's make it interesting. Um, do you know what? I reckon Pepe is going to have a really good scoring, uh, like a productive season. I think he's got the mercurials, Brad. He's got the mercurials on. It's yeah, no, I think it's like if you look at kind of the similar almost like storylines to call it in that, you know, he had a tough first season at Lille and then started to kind of find his feet and score more. Uh, I, I reckon that if we're looking at it's, it's, it's most likely going to be with, you know, if we, if we keep Lacazette and we keep playing him in the role that we are, our top scorers are going to be the players playing around that wing area. So I reckon uh, Pepe will be the second highest scorer for me personally. What about you, JB? Yeah, I, I, I think it's difficult to say anyone other than Pepe. I maybe one of the strikers, but I think they'll rotate a lot. Um, and I think Pepe ended last season pretty well. So at the risk of completely ruining and jinxing everything that we're about to see in the next 12 months, uh, I think Pepe is going to be our second highest score. Mm. I'm going to Kratis. <laughs> uh, most assists. Okay, let's start with JB. Who are you going for? Most assists next season. I'm really tempted to also say Pepe. And I would go Willian, but I don't think he's going to play every week. So I'm, and and Lacazette maybe sets people up a lot. I'm st- I'm sticking with Pepe. Can I go left field here and say Tierney? You can. It won't be. It won't be right. We'll see. Twelve months time. You watch. <laughs> I don't know. I think in if he, if he plays in that left wing back role, I don't know. I can see it. JB's furious. <laughs> <laughs> It's so who are these fucking chances? It's optimistic. It's <laughs> it's an optimistic shout, but I respect it. Oh, um, just for the want of being different, I'll go uh, Bakayo Saka. I reckon, I reckon Saka could do a job. Other than obviously, I think Pepe would be the logical choice if Alba smashing in the goals, him swinging in that ball with his left foot is likely to kind of garner a few, definitely a high amount of assists, but. For the one to be indifferent, I reckon Saka could definitely get up on those charts for us. JB? Yeah, I mean, I think it completely depends how we play and who we sign. So it's a difficult one. Like, you know, could be our, for all we know. Could be. I'm not a betting... Well, I am a betting man. But uh, I'm not putting money on that. I think, yeah, like Tierney, if he ends up playing left wing back all season, that'd be interesting. I, yeah, I, I just think I think if you take all of the maybes out of the question, I'm staying, I'm staying Pepe. Big season for Pepe. All right. League table position. I'm going fourth. I think we're getting that trophy in fourth. Fifth. Fifth's like fifth breaching that top four. I just think that Chelsea, with the amount of money that they're spunking down on fucking every German player possible, uh, it's they're if if they don't get third, Lampard has gotta go. Like the amount of money that they've spent and United with the way that they can print money are probably going to get another two or three very high quality signings through the door. So I think that they'll lock up fourth. And I mean, financially, we're not even competing with Leicester when it comes to spending at the moment. You know, they've just brought in money for Chilwell. So I think we'll get fifth and we'll be pushing United for fourth, but I don't think we'll get it. Go on, JB. Yeah, I I think I want to be optimistic. Um, do it go on but say it with your chest (laughs) I I think with our current squad making top four would be miraculous Um, I think if we add a couple of players making top four will be difficult Uh, I think you know what what you would need is United are just going to steamroller enough teams to make top four, right? They'll they'll blow a few games, but they've just got so many good attacking options. They'll be in there. City and Liverpool, obviously. The hope would have to be that Chelsea have bought so many new players that it takes them six to nine months to get to know each other or get used to the league. Um, I think what they've got there is setting up Lampard's successor to win things. and And they've got that, like, you hire a club legend, you buy some time, you buy fan patience. Yeah. But then, you know, if they don't win stuff with this season, he'll probably go, which is harsh. But, you know, he's obviously such a nice guy. I feel so bad for him. Um, So I think, I think fifth, 
feels about right. Um, I think our best hopes of getting the Champions League would be winning the Europa, which I wouldn't rule out. Um, especially now we have a bit of a, what do you want to call it, a kind of a knockout. We've got a bit of a knockout system that, that I put a bit more faith in now. That that back three, I think, will be quite a nice little system to use against the bigger and better teams if there are any in the Europa League, but kind of quarterfinal, semi-final onwards, suddenly I'm a bit more optimistic. So I think fifth in a good Europa run would be a nice season. Um, I'd love, I'd love more. I'd love us to win the league, for example. Yeah. But, but I don't feel like that'd be a very credible prediction. Can I clarify my deluded fourth with with signings, midfield signings? Who are these signings? Which two? Which two players do you think Arsenal could buy that would put us ahead of Chelsea and United or United? I I am in a similar position to you in that I think. Chelsea will struggle to find cohesion. So I don't think they'll be... I think they'll make a later run for it, but I think they'll be teething problems. I think... Fourth is optimistic, but I think if we get the two midfield option... if Say, for example, we got Party and Alwa, I don't think we're going to get them, or certainly not both. If we got two solid midfield options, plus Saka, Martinelli, Nelson, Nketiah all maturing, Aubameyang staying, Pepe you know, maturing, William coming in. I trust Arteta. But listen, I'm maybe I'm I'm probably deluded. I think no, but I think that's the thing that you you have to consider as well as signing a manager is is probably something that comes into play with these things. And you know, Chelsea lost twelve games last season. You know, United were very lucky to limp into that top four with a record number of penalties in a season. You know, the average being six, and they had maybe thirteen in the league. I, I agree with JB that, you know, Chelsea have re- really well set up the next manager to win some serious silverware. But I think that Lampard is, from everything that we've seen, the only reason that both of them got top four is because it was Leicester's to lose and they lost it. And I think that's that's as much to say about how le- poor Leicester were rather than how great either of those teams were. Yes, indeed. OK, uh, next one. Any silverware? Uh, Bradley, why don't you start us off? Uh, we could definitely get a cup, like a Carabao Cup or an FA Cup, you know, or even uh, the Europa League. We found this great system to kind of win these these one or two legged ties now with the three four three. So I am I'm confident in Ar- in Arteta and this system in knockout football. It might not shine through in thirty eight games in the league because of us having to kind of break down low blocks of of a Burnley. But I reckon we could definitely win a cup this season. Any predictions which? Uh, I think we're going to throw everything at the Europa League uh, because I think we're realistic enough to understand that we've not spent the money to guarantee Champions League football through the league. So we're going to have to get it somehow. And I think that's going to be the most logical option. Yeah, I think it's obviously harder without the Emirates Cup on the table. Um, (laughs) I would, I just don't care about the Carabao Cup, which is a complete waste of time. Be nice if, if we can give the kids a run out. Yeah. I mean, technically, we've won the English Club World Cup already. So the super the super cup the super cup. English super cup and the FA Cup is ours. So I feel like it would be rude not to win that. <laughs> but yeah, I, th- I think I think the the Europa and look, I'm I have to say this and and fully acknowledge that it's a completely worthless joke of a competition. But winning the Europa gets you into the Champions League. So. If we view it as a very long preliminary qualifying round for the Champions League, then I'm all right with us putting some effort into the Europa. But it is, just once again, an absolute farce of a competition. (laughs) All right, boys, we've got two more. We've got flop of the season and we've got young player of the season. Uh, JB, who's your flop of the season for Arsenal? That is a horrible question. Um... All right, I'm gonna go with, and I'm gonna I'm gonna slightly twist the meaning of flop here. I think that don't kill me. I think that Saliba just won't play as many games as people expect. I don't. Yeah, and I think you could even say I don't think he'll be as good in his first season as as people will it. I've so many. I'm what I'm I'm watching compilations and I'm watching tweets. People going, you know, we've signed this. I met. He's 19 years old, man. Like, yeah. He's not. Yeah. And he played 16 games for Santatien last season. Like, yeah. Like, un- unless he's the next Rafa Varane, which he might be. Yeah. 
like it will just take a couple of years. Yeah. So that I don't, I don't know if you can call that a flop, but I think if you look at what people are expecting of players versus what we will probably see, I think that's that'll be my shout. Yeah, perfect. Top. It is a great opportunity for a flop in that sense. Not that he will be horrific, just in the sense that everyone's expecting crazy amounts from a player that's had like not even 30 senior appearances. Brad, for you? For me, um, I was I was actually going to say, um, I think that Cedric Suarez has a very, very strong shout to be flop of the season, especially if we sell Hector Bellerin, because he'll be our only, if we unless we sign somebody, he would be our only designated right back. And although, you know, he's got a pretty decent end product when it comes to crosses, it's not horrific, but it's better than what we've had in the past. I just think defensively, he can be very, very suspect. And if we if we move to a back four and we start playing him at right back and put people like Leila Nars in the midfield and we've not got Bellerin or bought somebody else in, I really think that it's a real opportunity for him to be exposed. Good shout. Good shout. I'm going... This is unfair on him because it will be because he doesn't play Ooh. Pablo Marie. Because I actually don't think he's a bad player. I just don't think he'll play and I think he'll go. So does that count as a flop? Not really. But it, yeah, I, I don't think he'll play. It's it's a It was a bizarre signing. I mean, maybe we didn't know about Gabriel or we hadn't targeted him. But And obviously he got unlucky with injuries. But it was, yeah, weird one. I think that's fair. There's there's flop opportunity there, right? We'll see. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Mate, that's the title of the podcast right there. Right. Uh, young Last one. Young player of the season. Let's just say anyone at Arsenal 23 and under. Uh, I'm going to go with Martinelli because I think uh, he may be recovering from an injury and that might sound like a weird shout right now. But I think come the end of the season after with some tired legs, I think he could really inject some some energy and some pace. And I think he he looks like he's bulking up in his time off. And I think the physical side of his game is really the main thing for me to, to, to just take him to that next level. I think he could come in, get five, six goals, a couple of assists at the end of the season and, and look like a really bright spark. I think Saka and Willock and, well, Willock, I think Saka and Nelson might push on, but I think Martinelli might be the sort of, might have the highest peak as opposed to the longest um, time in the, in the team. It's a tough one. It's funny because like a couple of years ago it would have been easy, but actually there's quite a lot of under 23 players in our squad now. I feel like Saka's the obvious one, but, and I can't say Saliba now because he, he's high on my full opportunity list. <laughs> so I think, I think, uh, I think we could see, a teen, I mean, Tierney's 22, right? You're going to go Tierney? I don't know. Huge claim. I love it. <laughs> I could be big, oh, but I'm big, I'm big on Ainsley. I think if Ainsley nails this like hybrid wing back central midfielder role, there's, there's a very exciting season there. Um, oh, it's so boring going the defender. I I'm gonna say the upside is with Maitland Niles, but I, I I think we haven't seen Tierney's real ta- like talent yet because we haven't seen him getting forward as much as I'd want to see. So the assists are coming. I've led you into that. Um, <laughs> we'll put, it, put it this way: if that happens, we, we're both right. Brilliant. <laughs> So, Kieran Tierney. Brad, what about you, mate? Do you know what? I reckon Eddie and Ketia. Oh, yeah. Good shot. Depending on departures, if uh, a certain if players leave, maybe like a Lacazette, and we, instead of investing that funds into kind of buying another striker and we put a little bit of responsibility on his shoulders, I think because of the rotation, he's going to get a lot of minutes this season. And there is... I just think that there is an opportunity for him to kick on. He was playing all right at the end of last season. Nothing special, but I think that if if we get the kind of the right system going and the right amount of rotation, we could see him at least kind of bag some goals and 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 play to a decent standard for us. What a pleasure that was, JB. Thank you so much yeah. for coming on, man. Really, really appreciate it. Thank you, both. Jesus. It's been uh, it's been good fun. Yeah. Been good fun. It's been good yeah, fun. No, legendary stuff. Legendary stuff. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to the Different Knock podcast. Uh, first and foremost, we really appreciate JB or at Gunapana on Twitter coming on the show. Um, it was an absolute pleasure to record with him. Really nice guy. Really knows his stuff. 
Um, so yeah, really appreciate him coming on the show. And secondly, if you did get this far, um, we'd really appreciate a subscription. We'd appreciate you uh, rating us on Apple Music or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, telling your friends, telling your dog, telling your mum, because we're you know we're independently run. And uh, yeah, there's uh, there ain't no Amazon funding us, so uh, we'd really appreciate you guys uh, supporting us if you can. Otherwise, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at diffknock, and have a good week. Cheers. Podcast Network.